You know, something that happens when Jesus is speaking to people, something that happens all the time is people will walk away from it and they'll say, man, we've never heard anybody speak with that much authority before. It was like everything that he said, the way he said it, for some reason, it just rang as true. And you couldn't deny it. You couldn't fight with him on it. It just, there was the authority that he brought with it when he spoke. And it was almost as if, almost as if, or he was, he was there when the earth was formed. Like the sun, he was there when it was set in place. And when the bird first learned to sing, it was doing it wrong. And so he gave this bird the divine voice lessons. And when the lion was learning to roar for the first time, he was there. And he's like, no, you got to do it from your belly. You got to do it from deep down. It was like when, uh, well, he was there to make the dog and humanity friends together. And then he made the cat and he's like, oh man, what do we do here? Uh, We got to find someone to love the cat. And so he put a special place in people's hearts for cats. If you're a cat lover, um, God gave you that special place in your heart for cats. You could laugh at that because it was really funny. Um, Here's the point though. He spoke like no one else did because he, it was like he knew something that no one else knew. And he knew someone that no one else knew. And he did it all, here you go, he did it all while remaining meek. And that's what today is all about, being meek. Now, you probably have no idea what this word means, meek. And, uh, and I just want you to know, it is a, it's an essential part of the Christian life, and you, it's very rare to find, but here's the deal, with these Beatitudes, when it says, blessed are the, which is what we're going to talk about, it means that this is true for the person who's a Christian, which means the Christian is meek. However, they aren't necessarily living into that meekness, but they have all the potential to live in a way that is meek. Now, you have no idea what this word means, probably. Don't start dictionarying it, because I'm going to tell you what it means. And, but I do want to tell you this, all throughout history, you see a major problem with the church because the church isn't being meek. In fact, I say this all the time, the church is at its worst when it is trying to claim power, but the church is at its best when it is drained of power, when it has no power. In fact, when it is giving power away, that is when the church is at its best. And that's a hint about what it means to be meek. So here's our verse today. It's from Matthew 5, 5. It says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. All right, so what's this word mean? The person who's meek, they don't want power. They don't want influence over others, and they don't want success. In other words, they aren't ruled by the lust for those things. But they aren't scared of having those things either. In fact, the meek person, if they have power, if they have success... If they have influence, they will use it just in the right way because they're not lusting over power. They're not lusting over success. They're not lusting over influence. They, they just have it, and because they don't need it, they use it in just the right way. The meek have power, but they're willing to give it away. They have success, but they can share it with anybody, and that makes them all the more powerful. So let me give you uh, the... Let me give you a definition of what it means to be meek. Someone who is meek is someone who just wants to do the will of God and let God handle the rest. They just want to do what's right. They're just asking the question, what is right? What is God's will here? I'm going to do it, and I'm going to let God handle the rest. If he gives me success, great. If he doesn't, I don't care. I just want to do what God wants me to do. And that is the person who is meek. 
They've humbled themselves to doing God's will. Here's another definition for you. The meek person doesn't try to build their own kingdom, but seeks to build the kingdom of God. And those are very different things. And how do they build the kingdom of God? They simply do the will of God. They're trying to figure out what the, what's the will of God. I want to do the will of God. I want to do the right thing. And when I do that, I'm going to let God handle the rest. But they're not weak. The meek are not weak. They're actually incredibly strong. They just have no interest in power. They have no interest in having success over doing the will of God. Now, if they have power, if they have success, it's fine. But their primary purpose is doing the will of God. And by doing the will of God, they will know how to handle influence. They will know how to handle power. And they will know how to handle success the right way. And they'll use it the right way. So that's why, Je- that's why they said Jesus speaks with such authority because he just wants to do the will of the Father. And he knows it's to speak truth. And so he speaks truth. And so what you see is sometimes Jesus shares these words with people and people are like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I will follow this man to the ends of the earth. And they start following him. And the next thing you know, he says something else. And they're like, whoa, take a step back. That was, did you hear what he just said? I'm not on board with that. And they're gone and they're not following him anymore. And he doesn't care. Like, I mean, he cares, but he doesn't care because all he wants to do is do the will of his father. And he knows that's for him to speak truth. And however, he, I mean, he, Jesus broke all the rules for strategy of success. He had all of these people following him. And all of a sudden he delivers some words to them and they're gone. Like he's performing these miracles and everyone's following him. He's like, you know what? Let me tell you something. And they're gone. And he's good with it because his primary thing is to do the will of his father. And he lets God sort out the rest. So here's the secret to being meek because it's so hard to do. So here's the secret. If you want to be meek, you have to be strong in God. And you have to let him sort out the rest. Meaning, you don't have to prove to the world around you that you're strong, you're successful, you're influential, you're someone that's worthy to be followed. You don't have to prove that. Because you're just satisfied in God and he's enough. And you're satisfied with doing his will and that gives you great delight to do that. You don't need the admiration of others because the admiration of God's enough. Think about it this way. Okay, so the meek person, they're not lusting over achievement. Why? Because they have come to the realization that they could never achieve more than what Christ has already achieved for them through the cross and the resurrection, meaning now they have this perfect record. It's as if they lived a perfect life. This is what happens when you have faith in Christ. You're credited with the perfect record of Christ, all of his achievements, all of his merits, and you say, there's nothing I could do that's more successful than what he's already done for me. And so because of that, everything's been accomplished. Everything's been achieved. All the merit that I could have has been given to me, so I'm fine. I'm good. I just want to do his will. And if he gives me success, great. And if he doesn't, I don't care because I have all the success I need in Christ. Take admiration. You know, we want to be admired by people. But the person who is meek, they're not controlled by seeking the approval and the admiration of others because they know that before they found Christ, they were an orphan. And now that they have found Christ, he's become like their big brother who's introduced them to their new father in heaven. And they're like an orphan who's finally found the father they've been longing for. And they find this father and they 
They, they, they feel it. They, they know it. They hear about it. The admiration that the Father in heaven has for them is enough. And you know, or, or like the way that, okay, so, so the Bible talks about Jesus being like the, this mother hen. So, so it's like there's, um, when a woman is nursing her child, so all of these chemicals are being released in her brain and giving her all of this love for her child. God loves you more than that. Far more than that. And when you know and that believe that to be true, like, it's okay if someone doesn't approve of you because you have the approval of the one who really, really matters. His power. You trust in his power, so you don't need to have it. So that's why the meek person, they don't need to have power. They don't need to have success. They don't need to have admiration because they've got it all in Christ. Now, too often... And I really want you to feel the weight of you doing this. Too often, we're chasing success over what is right. In fact, we've done it for so long that we don't actually realize that we're doing it. And we can't even tell what's right because we're so driven by this lust for success or the appearance of success. So we don't ask what God's will is in a situation. Here's what we do. We find the gurus. We find the people who got it all right. We find the people who we look up to and we're like, tell me what you did. What's your strategy? I want to be successful like you. Instead of first saying, God, what's your will here? I'm not saying you shouldn't seek wisdom from others. I'm saying the will of God is the primary driver in your life and everything else falls secondary. That's what the meek person does. That's who the meek person is. Now, many of you might say, okay, well, that's fine, but I'm not lusting over power. Are you sure? Because here's the deal. Here's what I'm convinced of. We're all seeking to build our own kingdom. And we don't need all the power in the world. We just need the right amount of power to give us the kingdom that we want because some people just want a comfortable little kingdom. They don't want the attention of having some big, huge kingdom, so their ambitions are small because they want to just live a comfortable life. But look, look what's happening. You're doing the same thing as someone who has all of this drive and this passion and this need for success. You're doing the same thing. You just want less than them. But you're driven by the same thing, your kingdom to look a certain way. We all are driven by the same thing, our kingdom to come, our kingdom to come. It's just that our ambition is a little bit different. So, so take this. Take two people who have equally high amounts of money. One person flaunts it. They're building their kingdom. What do they want? They want the car. They want the house. They want, they want everything to look a certain way, and they want to give a certain appearance. That other person who has the equal amount of money, they're saving all their money. But perhaps they're saving their money because they just want a comfortable life. They don't want to take risks because they just want to feel comfortable. And, or or maybe, maybe their parent told them, hey, don't you dare flaunt money if you have it. And so they're just seeking to, uh, their approval of somebody else. But listen, the meek person is not seeking the approval of others. The meek person is simply satisfied with doing the will of God first. It's just a different operating principle, a completely different operating principle. And I bet that we are so far from this, so far more, so far from this, more, more so than we even realize. The meek person doesn't care what kind of power or success they have. They just want to do God's will. And here, here's, the, here's the ticker. In a lot of ways, the meek person 
has simply forgotten about themselves in a very healthy way. Not an unhealthy way, but a very healthy way. And, and you know what I'm talking about. So if you're the type of person who chases success, so this is me, this is like, this is the thing I'm doing. If you're the type of person that's chasing success and you don't have it, you feel like a failure. And you feel like the world knows you're a failure and you say, oh no. And then so what do you do? You start self-obsessing over how the world sees you. You start self-obsessing over if people approve of you. You start self-obsessing over all of this stuff when, when how, how much easier it is to just say, I just want to do the will of God and let God handle the rest. I don't care what the world thinks of me because I have all the approval I need in Christ. I am simply just good. I'm content. I'm satisfied. But we're, we're lusting. And, and it's all about building our own kingdom. Okay, uh, let's do this one. Ladies, your image. So, ladies become very obsessed about their image and feel very good until someone prettier than them walks into a room. And when that happens, all of a sudden, they feel very insecure. Um, They feel very unhappy and self-loathing about themselves when this happens. Now, what's happened? Well, you're not meek. So, you want, I mean... You want praise for your beauty. And a bit of power comes with that. So you see a woman who really feels like she's beautiful walk into the room and maybe she carries herself in such a way that it seems like she's powerful. But what she's really wanting is she's wanting to use her image and her beauty to build her own kingdom. And that's a way that's working for her. And so that's what she's seeking after. That's what she's doing. And so here's what our culture then says. You know what? You all need to think that you're beautiful. Just... And, and keep telling yourself how beautiful you are over and over and over and over and over again until you start believing it, until you start getting this overinflated ego, until you become arrogant about the way you look. Now, is that the right thing to do? Well, not according to this, because you're losing your meekness now. See, the person who is meek realizes that God the Father thinks that you're beautiful completely, inside and out. He's designed you to be who you are, and he loves you, and he delights in you, and that is enough. So if you try to trick yourself, though, to think, oh, it's all based off how the world feels about me, and you lose sight of what, how God feels about you, or you just keep telling yourself, oh, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, it's never going to be enough, because one person's going to say something, or you're going to feel this way, but God will, God can be enough. But see, you're trying to build your own kingdom based off of your beauty. And all it's doing is trying to make you prideful, but the person who is meek doesn't care. The person who is meek doesn't walk past a mirror with a smile on their face or a frown on their face. They don't even really look. Because they're content in Christ, and they know God cherishes them. So... Do you see how freeing that is, by the way? To not have to worry about it? To just trust God, like he's got this? Um, he's in control and he loves me and I'm good. It's so hard to do, but it's so freeing. And I'm convinced that the core problem of why we aren't meek is because we're trying to build our own kingdom. So if you are meek... You seek to do God's will to build his kingdom. If you aren't meek, you seek to do your will to build your kingdom. And what you do is you pick something 
that will help you build your kingdom the most. And it could be anything. It could be your image. It could be, your, it could be power. It could be money. It could be the perfect family. It could be success. It could be whatever it is. You're using that thing to try to build up your kingdom. So you think about this. So God created the world, and what does he do? He brings order out of the chaos. And then sin comes into the world, and then here's what happens. The, the order turns back into chaos. And you see chaos all around your life. I mean, chaos is constantly coming into your life. Disorder is constantly coming into your life. And so what do you do as a remedy for all of this? You seek to build your own kingdom. And you seek to create these walls that are going to build your own kingdom so that you can create some type of order in your world. Now, what are you doing? You're building your own kingdom. And you're trying to do it with the order. And you're using anything that you can around you to build your kingdom so that you can feel like it's a survival guide almost. Like, I just could use this. If I could use this thing about myself, then finally I could build my kingdom, I'll be safe, and I'll have an orderly, good life. Or the meek person says, no, that doesn't work. I can't fix this. I can't fix my world. I need a better hero. And so the meek person turns their attention and their gaze upon Christ and says, there he is. That's my hero. That's the one who can build the world that I long for. And it doesn't, look, look, it doesn't mean you're just like, ah, oh, I'm just going to let God do what God does and I'm not going to really think about anything or do it. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that you are making incredibly wise decisions because you are seeking the will of God. So you're not just like, ah, you know what? I got to go to work today, but I'm not going to go. I'm going to let God handle this. So that's not doing God's will. You got to do God's will. Okay, so, and, and here's the other thing. Building your own kingdom will always be a failed effort. Seek power, eventually you will lose it. It always happens. Seek admiration, eventually you're going to find someone who doesn't like you. And you're going to try, if if admiration is everything for you, approval is everything, you're going to try like crazy to win them over and it's not going to happen. And all you'll be able to think about is how they don't like you and it's going to start ruling your life. Or seek beauty, eventually you will get old, gray, and wrinkly. Seek a perfect family. It's true. Seek a perfect family. You know what's going to happen? You're going to crush them under the weight of your desire for perfection. Watch this. So your perfect family will not always be perfect because life in this world is hard and your family will fail you at some time. At some point, it's going to happen. Now, if having the perfect family is your goal, and that's the way that you get this kingdom, this safe, orderly little kingdom, watch what happens. You need your family to be perfect. And you know what they start doing? They start getting crushed under the tyranny of your weight that you're putting on them for them to be perfect. And you know what they want to do? They want to run from your rule. And they run as far as they can from you. And you're like, why? But I love you. And you're chasing after them. But all they see is you placing this perfection on top of them that they're never going to be able to get. And so they run and they run and they run. And you're like, why? But I love you. and I love you. And, but they can't help it. It's too much for them. So they're out of there. But if you'll just seek to build God's kingdom and not your own, you'll just seek to do his will and let God handle the rest. And it's so freeing. Now it gets hard when God doesn't give you what you want, but that's just proof that you want your kingdom over his. Now, at this point, 
I got to give you some examples of meekness because it's so, I think our culture is so outside of understanding what meekness is that you just got to see an example. But when you see an example of it, it's inspiring and it makes you trust that person. So first inspiring example is a young man named Harry Potter. So in this grand movie or book, Harry Potter, here's what happens. This young little guy uh, starts eventually doing battle with this dark lord who's like a wizard. Okay, well, he's a wizard. And eventually defeats him and wins and beats this dark lord. And at the end, he's standing with the wand of power. And he's sitting there with his friends. And they're like, what are we going to do with this? I mean, we have all the power in the world. We could do anything we want. Look at what we've got with this power. And you know what he does? He takes the wand and he breaks it in half because he's seen what power has done to the world. And so he doesn't want it to happen again. So he does what is right. And he turns away from having power and he breaks the wand and he throws it so no one can find it again. That's meekness. Or Lord of the Rings. I talked about Lord of the Rings last week. I'm going to do it again. So in Lord of the Rings, there's this ring of power. And everybody wants this ring of power because if you have it, you get to build your own kingdom. You get to get what you want. But the problem is this ring of power always corrupts whoever it has. And it brings corruption all around them. But people can't help it. And so all these powerful people, they just want this ring because if they have it, they get to what? They get to build their own kingdom. They get to make it how they want. And they say, oh no, I'm going to use it for good. I'm going to use it for good. But it poisons their minds. But then... Out of nowhere come these little tiny people called hobbits. And they come in and they have no desire for power. They just want to be comfortable. But there's this one or few hobbits who say, ah, I want to be comfortable, but you know what? Doing what is right is more important. And so they actually are the most powerful people in the land because they are not controlled by the lustful power of the ring. And so they're able to be the one, especially this one hobbit, is able to be the one who carries the load of this and go and help this ring get destroyed. Because he didn't need the power. He could just do what was right. All right, here's the last example, and it's my favorite one. It's, it's of Jonathan in the Bible, King David's best friend. So, so here's the thing. I don't know if you know this story, but Jonathan was set to be the king. So God's, God's like, the empire of God's people is growing and growing and growing. And Jonathan's father, Saul, is the king. And Jonathan is, is the one who's going to get the throne next. Only here's what happens. There's this other guy named David. And it's clear to Jonathan that God wants David to be the king. And so Jonathan says, ah, I'm giving... I don't want the throne. I want David to have it. And Jonathan's father is furious. Jonathan's father's trying to kill David. Saul's trying to kill David. But Jonathan comes to David's aid and he helps him to escape his father. Eventually, David becomes king. All because Jonathan realized, no, it's better to do God's will than for me to be in power, than for me to have the throne, even though it's mine to claim. I'd rather do God's will. And here's the thing. Jonathan needs to be our example because there's a greater king than us and he could build a far greater kingdom than we can but it's going to require something of you laying down your crown and laying down your kingdom and your temptation in life is going to always be to build your kingdom 
and it's going to always be to take the throne. You'll just, and, you, and you'll say to yourself stuff like this. You'll, it'll be your greatest temptation every single day is to work for your kingdom. And you're going to say things like this. Man, if I just had success, if I just had this much power, if I had this, this much influence or admiration from people, then I could do some really great things in the world. And man, if, if God, just give me this, God. And if you will, I'll do some great things for you. I promise I will. And it's going to start poisoning your mind because you're fighting for your kingdom and not God's. And more and more and more, your mind will become sick. And you're going to get further and further and further from God's kingdom. And at some point, you're going to be so lost that you don't even realize what you're doing. And you're going to be doing things that you think are right, but they're actually wrong. Because you're being ruled by the strategies of success and admiration and power. Versus doing God's will. You got to give up your throne like Jonathan did. There's a greater king and a greater kingdom than you can ever build. Okay, so now you're saying, okay, fine. I want to know what God's will is for me. People ask me this all the time. Like, what's God's will? What am I supposed to do? Hey, should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Like, what's God's will in my life? And we get a little obsessed about this. And my answer typically is, well, you just got to keep coming back every Sunday, make every Sunday consistent. You got to get yourself in a Christian community and, uh, because you've got to put yourself underneath the king. And it's really hard to do that because you're going to want the throne. So you need consistent reminders that you're giving the throne away and your kingdom away to him. But here's the thing I'm convinced of, that... God's will would be so simple for you to understand if you would just actually really desire for his kingdom to come and not your own. And if you really wanted that, it would become very clear to you what you're supposed to do in life. The hardest thing you're ever going to do, but the most important thing you're ever going to do is to give up your kingdom and let him have it and to throw down your crown. So the real question is, how do you actually get to start wanting to do this? Because some of you are like, if you're like me, you're like, no, I want to do that. That sounds good, but you can't help it. Like you, you're, you've got your, your crown in your hand and you're ready to throw it down, but you can't let it go. You like take a throw, but it's still stuck to your hand. So how do you get to want to do that? There's two discoveries that you have to have. I mean, real discoveries. You've got to discover the king and his kingdom. So once you discover the king and his kingdom, so take his kingdom. Once you discover his kingdom, here's what you realize. His kingdom is way greater than mine. So I want to give up mine. I don't want this kingdom anymore because this other kingdom is far greater than my own. See this verse, it says, the meek will inherit the earth. Now this meek will inherit the earth. This is pointing to the promised land. When it says inherit the earth, it's talking about the promised land. Now what's the promised land? Well, The promised land is what was lost long ago by what theologians call the fall. And you long to be lifted back up to this promised land. So deep within you, the promised land is calling out. And this is a place where laughter rings in houses so loudly that the laughter is echoing off of hills. It's a place where people who can't even dance, dance, and they can't help it. And people are looking away like, oh man, look at that person dancing, but they can't help it. They don't care because they have so much joy in their heart that they want to dance and they can't help it. It's a place where trees sing. 
So there's a Bible verse that talks about this great land. Trees will be singing. Now, is that a metaphor for one day where trees are going to be singing? Is that a metaphor or is it something that really will happen? Well, we don't really know. But perhaps the wind will pass across leaves in such a way that it will cause a ringing sound and different leaves will have different notes and then they will echo on in harmonies and then there will be a song constantly playing in the background of our lives that sound beautiful in this place. It's a place where you can go up to a lion and kiss it on its nose without fear. That's the promise of the Bible. Why is this place so great? Because Christ is the king. He sits on the throne. And you say, well, why hasn't God already done this already? Well, this is what I'm talking about. This is what the fall is. I mean, do you know the story? So here's how the story goes. Humanity is with God. His kingdom. They're in his kingdom. And then there's a lie that is whispered to them. Right before they eat of the fruit, don't, don't get caught up about the talking snake and the apple right now. Just listen, listen to this. There's a lie that is whispered to them. And the lie is this. You can be like God. You can have his throne. Take it. Build your own kingdom. Get out from underneath his rule. So humanity took the fruit, ate it, and fell. Fell from underneath the rule of God and got a kingdom where they were kings, where we are kings. The world needs a better king than us. But we keep making the same mistake over and over and over again where we're trying to build our own kingdom. And we look at this fallen world. We see what's wrong with it, and we're trying to come up with a solution. And what's our solution? Well, we've got to build up a kingdom. We gotta, it, it, come on, we do it. Look, think about this. When you vote for the politician that you vote for, do you know what you're really doing? You're asking this question. I'm going to expose you right now. You, here's what you're asking. Which one could help me build my kingdom the most? That's what you really want. That's really what you're voting for, the person who could give you your kingdom the most. Why do you buy the things that you buy? Because you think that those things are going to help you get your kingdom more. You see some commercial and it makes all these promises and you're like, oh my gosh, if I just had that, my kingdom would be so much better, so I'm going to get it. We're obsessed with building our kingdoms. It's happening to you way more than you realize it's happening. But the solution of the meek, throw it all away and build God's kingdom. What is his will? But it's not enough just to set your heart upon this land that is to come. You've got to find the king. Because you can't have the kingdom without the king. And here's what happens when you really find him. He puts a spirit within you. You put your faith in him. He puts a spirit within you. And when he does that, now inside of you, you begin to long to actually really build his kingdom. Otherwise, you're never going to want to do it. That's where the power of the king comes into you and then changes you so that you actually want his kingdom to come. And it will never happen until you find him, until you put yourself underneath him. So while the story of Jonathan is a story of us, the story of King David is a story of Christ, where we, like Jonathan, lay down our throne, we lay down our crown, and we give it to him. And he's come, Christ, is the ultimate example of meekness. So watch this. He's the son of God. Where he was not only there when the lion attempted its first growl, but he was the one who made the lion. 
He's the one who gave the bird its voice. And he's the one who brought order out of chaos and brought life into the world. In fact, he holds life in his hands. And he came into the fallen world and he was mocked and he was ridiculed and he was misunderstood. He was hated by the world, though he loved the world. He was spit on as he offered the kiss of peace. And he lived a life of sorrow in order to give you joy. He was the king who was treated like a slave. And he was the savior of the world who held out his hand to be rescued, but was to rescue you, but was slapped. There's a woman who was sick. She goes up to Jesus and touches him. And he said, who touched me? I felt power leave me. And she was healed as soon as it happened. He lost power for her to be healed, to bring order out of the chaos of her sickness. Do you know what happens on the cross? The one with all the power, he's drained of it to give life to the world again. That was an amen. He's drained of all the power. And do you know what happens? When he dies on the cross, something happens. The curtain of the temple is torn in two. Do you have any idea what that means? The curtain of the temple, when you go through it, that's the place where you have access to God, the presence of God. By him dying on the cross, here's what happens. The curtain is ripped and now all have access to God through faith in Christ. But not only that, now the kingdom of God can come rushing into our world. Because he gave up all of his power on the cross. But not only that, in the resurrection. Oh, and by the way, too. Those who are buried, their souls come, came out of the ground and followed through these, this torn temple into, into the presence of God. And here's the thing. The promise one day is that the resurrected Christ will return. And what we all long for is the return of the king to come back and occupy the throne that is on this earth. Because right now, the spiritual and the material, there is divide. But there's going to come a day when the spiritual and the material are woven together as one. And when that happens, all will be made new. And we will be here in this place, a place that's made completely new, where we could kiss the nose of lions, where the hills are dancing, and where all is good. Because finally, we will be in the land that we long for, because Christ is now upon his throne as king. Father, we pray that you would put a longing in our heart for your kingdom to come. And we pray that you would give us the gift of your spirit so that we would long for your kingdom in a way that we had not before and that we would lay down our crowns, that we would throw them at your feet and we would bow to our knees in reverence of you, the great king, the cosmically glorious king, the one who is worthy of power, yet you gave it all away so you could save us and rescue us. And we thank you for that, God. We pray that you would make this real to us, that this wouldn't be some concept or idea, but this would be a real truth that is echoing in the halls of our hearts. God, bend us towards you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.